Welcome to the Pilot Podcast. This week, we have a special guest. Today, we're joined by the wonderful and talented host of Mysteries Decoded, Jennifer Marshall. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the invite. Uh, Welcome, Jennifer. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure. Um, So I joined the Navy at 17. I was from a one-stop light town, so I jumped at the chance to join. I served for five years. I deployed in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom. And after I got out of the military, I went to college and later I went to PI school. So now I'm a licensed private investigator in the state of California. And I have a show called Mysteries Decoded on the CW that you guys covered. Awesome. So thinking about your career, did you ever see it heading in this direction? Oh my gosh, no. (laughs) No, if you would have told me when I was a kid, you're going to be an actor, I would have said, what? No, there's no way. And then if you would have told me that getting my PI license and opening up my company would end up in a TV show, I would have said, this is insane. There's no way this does not happen to to me. This doesn't happen to anybody, but especially me. And what was the journey from opening up your office, I think you said in in 2014, to having this show five years later? So I actually went to PI school in 2014. It takes a long time to get your hours. So the state of California requires 6,000 hours. And that's because they don't want paparazzos going to PI school, getting their license, looking up where stars live. Wow. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a serious thing in California. In New York, and they want to make sure that people are committed to the career and they're doing it for the right reasons. So it took me years to get hours for me to open up my own company. It, it took a long time, but I'm glad that it's that stringent because somebody who's in the public eye now, I don't want people to be able to look up where I live. You know, and imagine if I was Channing Tatum or Megan Fox or something, it would probably be a million times worse. And so it seems as though even more recently you became a PI. So what was that journey like from becoming a PI to, it sounds like a couple years later or so hosting this show? Well, since 2014, I've worked for a few different private investigators. When you're getting your license, it takes a long time to get hours. So I've worked on a lot of different cases. You know, I have thousands of hours of investigative experience. So what I do in my company and when I was working for other PIs, it's very different than what I do on the show. For the show, it's a historical investigation show and no one in their right mind is going to say, Jennifer, we're going to pay you all expenses paid to go see what's happening in the Bermuda Triangle. And we're going to pay you for shooting every single day. And we're going to cover your meals. That is not a thing. So when the CW said, you know, we want to do this, and we want to order this to series, that's kind of an amazing once in a lifetime thing. You guys are going to pay for me to do this. And yeah, of course, it's it's a no brainer, you know, so I imagine they are entirely different investigative styles, though my entire knowledge of PIs is gumshoe mysteries. But (laughs) I'm curious, are there any of those investigative skills or skills from your vast career, right? From the military to teaching in Uganda to modeling and acting that you have applied on Mysteries Decoded as you look into these mysteries? Oh, yes, there are so many things. People think that being an actor and being a PI are worlds apart. And, you know, in some aspects they are, but in other aspects, reading people as an actor, I read people in class, on set, you know, when we're rehearsing, I read 
people all the time. You learn how to read people when you're in acting school. It's the same as a PI. You read people differently, but it's all about body language and, you know, things people do with their face that you don't necessarily know if you're not in that business or if you're not in acting, you kind of just take an expression and it is what it is. You don't consider micro expressions. So there's a lot of crossover there. And I think the biggest thing that's helped me in the show is just attention to detail. There are so many things that people overlook or, you know, as an investigator, it's hard because sometimes you can get overwhelmed. But I've noticed that a few of the older investigators that I know, they kind of just go with, okay, this is what we think happened. And they kind of just chase that. And I don't ever do that. I look at what are all these things that possibly could have happened. And on the show, we branch out into all these different things. We shoot enough for three episodes. We just don't air all of that. There's 41 minutes that's aired, but we have probably 20 hours of footage, I would say, because we chase down every possible lead. Oh, wow. So BJ and I actually ended up watching more episodes of the show. And I really value the perspective you bring to Mysteries Decoded. As you said, it's so interesting that you bring your skills and your love of facts to these sometimes nebulous cases. And BJ was especially into it as a scientist. He kept agreeing with you as we watched. But I'm curious if anyone has moved you or shifted your perspective a bit. For example, in the Area 51 episode, I think the journalist's name was Nate. He brought out tons of stuff. And then you met with that aeronautical engineer who confirmed that like maybe the UFO was spinning and and that you like can connected with all those military professionals and that one radar specialist at the end who was like, if he said he saw it, he saw it like this is clearly their perspective. And so I'm curious about if you've been moved because I certainly am a a bit of a skeptic and I was shaken uh, (laughs) by the end of that episode. You know, Area 51 was a doozy. I'll say, you know, with the Montauk experiments, people were talking about time travel. And I Mm -hmm. think I've must have rolled my eyes out of my head 85 times during that episode (laughs) because it was just so insane. You know, but something like Area 51, I, you know, in next week's episode, the Bermuda Triangle, I'm in love with science. So anytime I can talk to somebody who's a scientist who can give me an explanation that's actually based in something and not just folklore, I'm always about it. But Area 51, um, you know, the thing that kills me about the UFO situation, these videos that were released is people like to kind of default to, oh, they want fame, they want fortune, that's why they're coming forward. There were two people that I interviewed off camera who are Navy veterans who were involved in the event that happened off the USS Nimitz in 2004. Those people don't want fame. Those people don't want fortune. They've never come forward. They have not allowed me to release their names or give any identifying details. So when I'm talking to these people, when I'm talking to Lieutenant Colonel Sardui, which I've known Jose for eight years. The pilot. The pilot, yes. So when I'm talking to these people, especially the there was a pilot that came forward who had uh, Commander Fravor. He was not on our episode, but he had 3,500 flight hours. So for him to come forward and say, I saw this object. I don't know what it is. And I saw some sort of docking station that was in the ocean. That did not make the final edit because we would have had to go into that. That to me is terrifying sort of stuff. And I definitely am, you know, show me the proof. But when there's all these things that we can't explain, I think it's it's rather naive to stick your head in the sand and say, well, if I don't see extraterrestrials, they must not exist. Because the fact is, we don't, we don't have any idea. With a septillion planets, it's pretty narcissistic to sit back and say, yeah, we're we're, we're the only ones and we're intelligent life. If they've been here, we are not intelligent on their level whatsoever. True. I really appreciated the credence that you gave to each of the beliefs and also the fact that that one man had had the same story for 30 years. 
And I understand it's only a, you know, 40 or so minute episode. Like you said, you have, you know, hours and hours of more content. But it was wild that the clips of him saying, you know, when it flips is when the like it's a, a shifting its own gravity. And then you literally see that on the screen. You know, Bob Lazar, when he came forward, the whistleblower 30 years ago, I didn't hear about him 30 years ago. I, I Clearly, I was a child at that point, but I had heard about it later. And I looked at that and I said, yeah, the guy's probably a kook. He's probably looking for attention. When I really started looking into this, and there's websites that try to debunk Bob, and somebody sent me one this morning and I said, okay, knowing what I know, even just being in the military, this is full of errors. Now, am I saying that Bob's 100% accurate? No, I'm not. Am I saying that Bob was actually out? for? No, I don't know that. But the fact is Bob has come forward and Bob said, I worked at Los Alamos and Los Alamos said, no, 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 he never worked here. Well, then a base kind of white pages popped up, base yellow pages, and there was his name. Hmm, that's funny. Then people were saying he was bringing people to this area and saying, you're going to see craft right now on three or four different occasions. And it happened. His story has remained relatively unchanged over 30 years. He has not even tried to monetize off of it. When he went on the Joe Rogan podcast, he insisted on paying his own way to get there. He wouldn't even let Joe buy him a plane ticket. So there's something to be said about somebody who says, you know what? This is my story. Probably wouldn't believe it if I were you. I'm not here to convince you. I'm just here to give you this information. And I came forward because I know if I didn't, something would have happened to me. And so with this show, you're really covering a lot of hot button cases like the Bermuda Triangle, Lizzie Borden, Roswell, Montauk, and even more coming. So with the world of social media, do you have passionate zealots reaching out to you about their own theories or disputing what you've discovered or stated in the episodes? I would say 98% of the feedback is constructive and it's good. But I have about 2% of people who just, you know, they come at me for not believing, for not, and, and I always tell them, I think you're coming at the wrong person. Contact my co-host. My co-host is the believer or the expert in that field. I am here to come in as a dispassionate observer and try to figure out what's going on. So, you know, a lot of people will send me emails about UFOs and I send those to Ryan. Ryan is my investigative partner in that specific realm. If somebody sends me something about Mothman, for example, you don't believe. With all due respect, it's not my responsibility, nor do I state that I'm a believer. So, you know, people directing their anger at you don't believe my story. I'm certainly able to listen to your story. But again, I'm not I'm not the person I'm not the right person to come to with this. Now, you know, my career off of television, if I'm looking for a missing person, if I'm connecting a birth parent to the child they placed for adoption, that's different. I'm the subject matter expert come to me with that. But you know, something like you were abducted by Mothman, and then you were, you know, government agent at the age of four, I can't help you with that. I don't know. So you were mentioning kind of the differences with your off-screen investigations and in your career. What's it like working with different people who bring different skills? And I'm also curious, do your PI skills ever kind of leak into interactions just in everyday life? <laughs> my kids will tell you they do. <laughs> uh, yes, when my daughters were teenagers, they're grown now. But when they were teenagers, they could not ever have a plot without me knowing. My son's a teenager now. And he's at the age where he thinks he's smarter than mom. And he's 14. And he's just not. So my, my youngest will eventually learn the same thing. So yes, it does absolutely cross over. Um, as far as the first part of it. Uh, I'm sorry, what was the first? I got so excited talking about my kids. What was the first part of your question? What's it like working? with these different people who bring different types of skills. Yes. You know, I 
I know a good number of PIs that they're kind of jack of all trades. That is not me. I do not rely on this to make a living. So I'm very specific in the cases that I take and I'm very generous with referrals. So if somebody comes to me and says, I need surveillance, two people came to me today, they needed surveillance. I pass that off. I like to be hydrated. And as a woman, surveillance does not allow that. So I just... I don't do surveillance anymore. It's not something I do. But when it's something that I'm passionate about, you know, I want to do that. Uh, Jennifer Owen, who is on the Mothman episode, she is an audio and vid- video expert, and I will use her if there's something that I can't figure out. So I love bringing in different PIs and saying, what is your skill set? Because for me, it's social media. A lot of the older PIs will say, you know, I don't know how to track this person down with the Snapchat thing in my bobber. And I can go in and I can help them navigate that sort of stuff. And, and I love it. Because because I'm of the generation that understands that, you know, and and they're not. So, but we we can help each other in, in that way. There's plenty of things that they've been able to teach me. So speaking of your roster of contacts that you're building, as you heard from our review of your show, we did laugh a bit at your dynamic between you and Stephanie, the paranormal historian and psychic. Have y'all kept in touch? Yes, it's funny because, you know, editing is always going to capture the most salacious sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Stephanie is a wonderful young woman. Uh, we are friends on Facebook, we chat on Instagram, you know, some things that happened off camera, you know, they they happened off camera, so they didn't even make it their way into the show. There was a, a child spirit that was kind of referenced when we were in the room where Abby Borden was found. And I can tell you that I felt something and I don't know what it was. It was this overwhelming feeling of euphoria with a hint or like a mist of affection that I feel for my young son because he's at that age where he needs the protection. And I thought this is so weird. As a skeptic, I should be annoyed that it's taken too long, or I should be scared, to be honest. But I didn't feel that. I felt that child type, whatever it was, come. And later when we were off camera, we were upstairs, I felt it come again. I said nothing. I said nothing at all. And Stephanie said to me, the child's back. Do you feel it? I mean, at, at that point, I, I, it, it threw me. So I thought that's a coincidence. Could be a coincidence. It happened again. So I do know that there are people who see and hear things that we don't necessarily. And, and who's to say that that couldn't be true? Most of them are probably fraud and fakers, but we don't understand how the brain works. So a lot of people said, Stephanie is a fraud. She fooled you, this, that, or whatever. They didn't have access to the other things that we had. And she also, in something that was cut out, told me a story about my grandmother that I do not talk about online. Nothing. So to me, you know, certain things I I can't explain. Is it possible she's a total fraud? It's possible. I don't think that's probable. No. I'm curious about the editing with the episode. When Stephanie reached out to Spirits, did it happen that quickly? Like how it was in the episode? No, no, no. No, it didn't. It took a long time. And that, I mean, I I wouldn't say it happened instantaneously. It didn't take an hour either. It took a while. And then the actual seance that we were in was probably 80 minutes. Oh, wow. So it was a three minute segment. It was very lengthy. So, you know, when you go in to do the editing, you don't want to waste precious time. So it took a long, long time. And the conversation Stephanie and I had about me even doing the seance was much longer because I did didn't want to have any part of that. I just thought this is the fastest way to get laughed out of my community. So I, I was very clear with production, please keep that in. Because if I go into this seance, I'm my reputation's trash in my community. If I just walk in and say, oh, that sounds fun. Let's just conjure up some ghosts. That's, <laughs> that's not a thing that any reputable investigator signs on board with. Yeah, I appreciate that you always make your point and your stance clear, but you are open to 
at least seeing what these other investigators are about and what their perspectives are to judge it for yourself. I feel like everybody comes from a different arena of life. Ryan, for example, he saw a UFO when he was younger. Who am I to come in and say, this doesn't exist? The fact is, he's the subject matter expert. I'm coming in to investigate it from an outsider's point of view. So it's important to me for them to know, you can't pull the wool over my eyes, but also to be open to them in case they are telling the truth and they really do believe these things. Things. And, you know, I think the production company and the network has been really great about casting real people who actually believe this. It's never just some actor who's saying that they believe A, B, or C. We have amazing conversations off camera talking about how passionate they are. And kind of going back to your life as a PI, you hinted at some stories involving your children. Do you have any other wild stories you'd like to share? Have you ever been caught while investigating someone? Oh, uh, <laughs> So yes, um, but I have a cover within a cover because I'm on TV. So now I'm on TV as a PI. So people, you know, people on the, who watch the CW know that there's still a lot of people in the United States who don't necessarily watch the CW um, or any other network for that matter. So I have been, I don't want to say caught, but there's been a couple of times where people have said, you just seem so familiar to me if I've been tailing them for a few days. And twice it's gotten a little heated. This was back in the day when I had mortgage commercials running. So I would say, oh, you know, I have this mortgage commercial that runs 30 times a day on Fox and, and MSNBC, and you must have seen that. And People are going to default to that instead of thinking this person's following me. So that's happened. And then there was another time before technology got better. This was when I first started where somebody had seen a pack, a recording pack that was on my back through my shirt. And uh, this was in an, in an area where I could record legally. I want to put, put, put that out there because it's very dangerous as a PI to break laws. Um, and what I did was I made them feel embarrassed because I told them I was a diabetic and that was an insulin pack. And I acted embarrassed. And I <laughs> and I made them feel bad for pointing it out. And I immediately left. And the person's face was just like, oh, I just pointed out this person's medical issue. I just feel like a jerk. So it has happened far and few between. Oh, wow. You're very clever. Yeah, that is so interesting that your exposure can become your cover. Because in my mind, a PI is, you know, subterrain. I can never be identified or, or, or whatever. And so it's so interesting that you're like, Oh, I'm on TV. You know, at that point, listen, I'm a six foot tall redhead following you at that point. <laughs> you know, at that point, regardless of what disguise I have on, I'm still a woman who's six feet tall. At that point, if somebody does recognize me, it's possible that they could have recognized from, from television. I don't think so. I think that they were like, wait, I keep seeing this person because the average PI you assume is like a 45 year old man who's kind of just blending in. So if they see that person, it's like a man looks like a man looks like a man. People have the same hairstyles, the same haircuts, the same whatever. Now, if it was a guy, you know, with really long hair, like a punk rocker or something, that's different because then that man sticks in your head. But most men are pretty nondescript. Women don't have that luxury. True. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Another point for the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> And speaking of your acting, you've been featured on two of BJ's favorite shows, Stranger Things and Timeless, and a host of other projects. Are there any upcoming acting projects that you're excited about? Yes, I will be on an episode of NCIS that's airing in October sometime. Dope. And I have a really great uh, movie coming out on Netflix called Texas Zombie Wars. And it's basically the United States has ceased to exist. New Texas has come in and I am an agent working for New Texas. 
Angeles. And uh, I play Agent Lane and she is Agent Lane. Yep. She's (laughs) don't don't cross Agent Lane. Let's put it that way. When does that movie come out? comes out in December. We're ready. (laughs) I'm ready too. We shot it a long time ago, but post-production takes a long time. I actually have seven movies I've shot that have not come out. So it's just a matter of they have to find a buyer. Post-production takes a while. It takes a long time in the business. So I shot a movie in 2013. I don't know where it is. Who knows if it'll ever be seen. And do you have any aspirations behind the camera with movies and shows? I actually produce. So I've produced uh, 15 PSAs and 10 more or in post-production. And I just booked an executive producer gig for a very high-profile PSA. So producing is good because you don't really have to do anything. You know, as a producer, you just have to know great people. You function as a maven. You bring all of your people in and you just work as someone who connects people. So I love producing and it's something that, you know, as a woman, when you hit 40 in Hollywood, the roles exponentially decrease and it's unfortunate and I'll continue to advocate for inclusion of women over the age of 40. But it's a reality and it's a fact. So I do have to prepare and I have to have a backup plan to a backup plan to a backup plan. You're saying that immediately strikes in me the story behind Reese Witherspoon's production company where it truly surprised me when she talked about how she and the cast of Big Little Lies would chat and talk about the projects and how less interesting they became as soon as they were older than, you know, 35, 40 years old, which is a wild concept because, you know, that's a room of Oscar winners, right? talking to each other. But it's amazing that they turned that on its head and created projects that exactly suit their interests. So I'm curious about if you're interested in creating, along with your PSAs and other projects, more mystery series. So Nancy Drew is coming out on the CW this fall, which I'm so excited about. That book series raised me. So I'm curious about if anything like that you're hoping to create. I would love, love, love to do a show and I wish someone would contact me. I would love to do a show about missing people. Missing people are unsolved murders. This is why I don't want to do anything that's solved because that's just exploitative. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be exploitative towards those families. I want to work on cases where people need closure. They have to find out what happened to their loved one. And there are enough profiles in GEDmatch. GEDmatch is is a service that Ancestry and 23andMe pulls from. That's basically how they found the Golden State Killer. Law enforcement can pull. They can track you back to a second cousin, a third cousin, and try to find out who you are from there. There are enough samples stored that have been forgotten about in cold cases that we could run those through GEDmatch. How do you find the funding for that? It's very difficult. There's enough Redditors who are are armchair detectives. I just feel like right now, because everybody is so, you know, they're so active on social media and they're so into being part of the show, no longer watching it, that I would love to work on a series where we can bring closure to some of these families because it is such a grave injustice that some of these people have loved ones who disappeared five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and they don't know what happened to their loved one or someone was murdered and they have no idea what happened. Could you imagine the trauma of living with that every single day? No, that's actually my first thought when D'Angelo was caught the Golden State Killer. I read that I'll Be Gone in the Dark book. And so thinking about the trauma that these families experienced and the idea that the surviving family members can now find this peace, because in that book, there's a chapter dedicated to the husbands of the spouses who were assaulted by the Golden State Killer. And so they didn't know what to do. 
And so people in that neighborhood got together and some of the husbands would just silently drive together at night patrolling the neighborhood. So it was a time where people didn't really talk about their feelings. So they could at least do that, right? And and try to generate this feeling of we're doing something. And so the idea of those men and maybe their kids feeling some sort of calm or relief from knowing we have them was my first thought. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And don't get me wrong, I've I've loved shooting Mysteries Decoded, you know, because it's interesting and we're kind of educating a new generation. CW sways very young, so we're kind of educating this new generation on some things that maybe haven't come onto their radar. But if I was able to do a show that could be educational in nature, you know, kind of like Unsolved Mysteries, but something where at the end of the day, I could say I made a difference because that's what I try to do in my practice. I don't take on cases that are salacious or so-and-so's messing with so-and-so. I don't do that. That's not where my heart lies. I don't like drama. I don't tend to get involved in drama on a personal level. I take on cases where I can make a difference in people's lives. There was a woman who came to me and said, I have, I've never met my father. I don't think my father exists. She was a 60-year-old realtor up in Northern California. She had known about the existence of her father for 40 years, hired PIs. They could never find him. I found him within three days. He was living in Germany. They met for the first time a few months ago. And she wrote me this heartfelt email and said, thank you so much. And at the time, I wasn't a licensed PI, so I didn't even charge her. I said, let me just see if I can do this. And that's when I started really wanting to find, you know, those misconnections, those lost connections. And he had no idea she existed. And she proved they were father and daughter through a DNA test. So for me, you know, I was able to have them get together before he passed because he's in his 80s. He, he could pass it, you know, any day now. So speaking of ways that you can help people, we know that you've already been involved in philanthropic opportunities like in Uganda for the troops and veterans. Is there any way our listeners can support any of your ventures? Yes, yes. So right now I support two students who go to school in Uganda. You know, there it's it's very different. We take a lot of things for granted here. There without paying to go to school, it's very difficult for them to go to school. So without any sort of financial contributions, many children have to leave school early, go work. They call it in the garden. It's basically farming. They're working trade type jobs. Very few students are allowed the opportunity to go to high school, to go to university. So if it's something where you feel like, you know, I really want to help, an American dollar goes so far in East Africa. So my website is jennifermarshall.com. Feel free to send me a message through there. All the donations that I get, you know, I let people know this is exactly what happened with it. Or your donation provided school supplies, your donations provided sanitary napkins for the girls. A lot of times girls there, they can't go to school during that week of the month because they don't have a way to take care of their cycle needs, which is so unfortunate. So it's just a matter of people being aware. You know, if veterans is your thing, send me a message on the website. I'm an ambassador for an amazing group called Pinups for Vets. We sell calendars. Uh, We go on a 50 state hospital tour to sit with veterans at their bedside. If there's some way where you say, I'd like to help a veteran, send me a message and I'd be happy to help you help someone who could use it. Awesome. And where else can our listeners find you on social media? Yes. So I live tweet during the shows, Jen, J-E-N-N-1-3, J-E-N-N-1-3. That's on Twitter. That's on Instagram. My Facebook is facebook.com backslash actress Jennifer Marshall. I love chatting with people. I try to get back to people as much as I can. My schedule is kind of crazy, but when I have downtime, I just am so appreciative of the support. 
support that me as some girl who came from one stoplight town who joined the Navy <laughs> has gotten on this level. It kind of blows me away and I'm very appreciative of that. So let's hook up on social media, have a chat and and let me know what you think of, of these mysteries that we're looking at. And I'd love to end on an inspirational note because your journey is so fascinating. And so do you have any words of inspiration for other people in one stoplight towns that they can achieve their dreams as well or even what they don't even know are their dreams yet? Yes, I would say don't accept the narrative presented to you. When I was in high school, I had a very limited view of what was out there. I saw what was in my town, but I had a television, so I knew that there was more out there. I just didn't really know how to get there. I would say you are your only limitation. The sky's the limit. Stay in school. I say this with love. Don't have a child before you can afford it. I love my children dearly. They came later in life because you have a lot of life to live before you you do that journey. And I would also say to women who say, well, I can't, I, I hear a lot of this. I can't finish my degree. I can't travel. You can do anything you want. It may take you longer. It may be a tougher road, but your kids will understand and they will love you for it. It took me five years to get my master's degree done in between adopting my children. No one ever has said to me, well, how long did it take you to get your master's? Because it's irrelevant. And I had circumstances other people don't have. So chase your dreams and know that sometimes it'll take you longer, but that's fine. That's okay. Oh, that was awesome. Thank you so much for coming by. I'm going to save that just for myself as well. <laughs> oh, girl, there, trust me, there were so many times I was, you know, in the middle of my adoption thinking, I can't do this. I've got all this stuff. I have all these documents. I have a horrible internet connection. I can't make this happen. And, you know, it just, it happens. It happens. So have faith in yourself because if you don't believe in yourself, who will, right? Exactly. True. That's what RuPaul ends every episode of Drag Race with. If you don't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love anybody else? That is true. Amen. I need to watch me some RuPaul. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for your time and being so flexible with my bonkers schedule. I appreciate it. No, well, thanks for making time to chat with us. Yes, yes. So thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, you guys have a new listener because I didn't know you existed until then. So I was like, oh, this is awesome. Now I can go back and see what you guys say about pilots before I go and waste my time on shows because there's 554 <laughs> scripted shows and I don't have time for this. Yeah, that's why we made it. <laughs> Good. It's very helpful. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you. Thank you guys so much for your time. Have a great day. We hope you enjoyed this interview. If you want to find more interviews and reviews, head to our website at thepilotpodcast.com. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. And be sure to leave a review and rating. It helps others discover us. And now you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thepilotpod. Listeners will get exclusives like never before heard episodes, merch that we'll have down the line, being able to do AMAs with BJ. The world is our oyster. Just me? Yeah, people want to know more. The, the streets want to know more about you because you always pose those would you rather scenarios. What do you think about this scenarios to me? And you never answer them yourself. And now... It's time. So patreon.com slash the pilot pod. Go there. It's where all the kids are. You can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at the pilot pod. You can like us on Facebook at the pilot podcast. You can send thoughts, feelings, show suggestions, feedback, questions, fun dreams you've had to ask the pilot podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.